Acts of the Apostles. To start with, we need to get a little bit of a background, and much of what we're going to do today is background. It might come across a little bit on the dry side, a little bit on the boring side, but without it, we're going to be kind of lost. And so we need that background to go forward in the next five, after the next five sessions, and, um, and kind of have a sense of where we're coming from. So first of all, what do we need to find out? You guys tell me. You don't just dive into a book and start reading. What do you need to know? Context. Thank you. Context, context, context. A text without a context is no text at all. I heard somebody say that one time. I don't remember who it was, but it stuck with me. All right. Um, a text without a context is no text at all. And so we need to know a little bit of the context of Acts of the Apostles. Of course, we can't get the whole context because that's what we've been working on for a year. Okay, but what kind of context do we need to know? How about who wrote it? It's important. Why is it, why is it important? I mean, it's the word of God. That's enough, isn't it? Why is it important to know who wrote it? Come on, friends. This is all review. Good, a different slant, a different perspective, right? You need to know the perspective of the author because if you don't know the perspective of the author, you're going to be lost. I've used this example on you guys before. If I close my eyes and I start describing, the hills are covered, they're golden, beautiful, covered in gold. What am I talking about? California. Well, some of you are cheating, yes. I'm from California, so yes. But out here... If I'm from the East Coast, what am I talking about? Shenandoah. Well, yeah, they, well, during fall, right? The whole hill's becoming golden. That doesn't happen in California. Okay? So, yeah, you're right. From my perspective, uh, when I'm speaking of the golden hills, I'm talking about the golden hills of the wheat as it turns in California. The, all the hills are golden yellow. Okay? So you need to know the context, who the author is, what else do you need to know? Who's he writing to? It's extremely important to know why he's saying the things he's saying. So we need to figure those things out. So who's the author? St. Luke. Luke. How do you know that? Open up to Acts. Open up to Acts. Open up to Acts. Acts follows right after the Gospels. The Acts of the Apostles. Does it say it's written by St. Luke underneath that? Yeah. In some of your Bibles it does? In most of your Bibles it doesn't. Oftentimes when you open up to Genesis, they'll say a book of what? Written by? By Moses. They didn't put that here. Okay, probably because the editor didn't believe in God. But nevertheless, it wasn't part of the original title anyways. And in fact, the title is probably not part of the original text anyways. It's traditionally been called Acts of the Apostles. Okay, yes. Well, you can cross-reference it to the Gospel according to the chapter 1, verse 3, where he writes... We're going to get there. Now, hold on. we got a little steps to take, but you're right. You're right. Baby steps. Okay? First of all, evidence from inside the text itself. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 10. Don't start reading without everyone else. Okay, hold on. We gotta go back to chapter 16, verse 1. 
Because he hears Monday Paul went on also to Derby and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Okay, and so on. So we're talking about one of the journeys of Paul in Acts. That's our context in chapter 16 and verse 10. Keep going. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia. Okay, so what do we know? He's <coughs> trying to go to Macedonia. Be carefully. The author and Paul were together. Good. How do you know that? We. Yeah, we. Good one. <laughs> okay, so the author of Acts is someone who accompanied Paul. Okay? Also in chapter 20, verse 5, you can see that. Chapter 20, verse 5. Jennifer, you want to give that to us? 20, verse 5. Mm-hmm. These went on and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Okay, fine, so it's the same thing. We can look at other texts. Consistently, during Paul's journey, there's this reference to we or us. Okay, so he's clearly on these journeys with St. Paul, which is great, because if we're going to learn about the journeys to St. Paul, we want someone who's seen it firsthand. Okay? What else? Turn to chapter 27. Chapter 27. We could go back. The, the context of this is that Paul has been arrested. Okay? The Jews have gotten him arrested, and he's appealed to Caesar. Why can he appeal to Caesar? Yeah, he's a citizen of Rome. And so as a citizen of Rome, instead of just being killed, he can say, wait a minute, I, I get to be judged by Caesar. You can't judge me. And so, so chapter 27, verse 1, tells us the beginning of that. Go ahead, Jennifer. Sorry, verse 1? Yes. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Okay. So this particular man, who we really don't know is Luke yet. I'll tell you it's Luke. That's fine. But in Acts of the Apostles, we know that the author of Acts goes to Rome with St. Paul. He goes and dwells with him there. He sets sail with him. Okay? What about from outside of Acts? Turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians is right after Philippians, which is right after Ephesians, right before Thessalonians. Colossians chapter 4. Chrissy! Yes. How you doing? Good. You want to read for us? What verse? Verse 12. Chrissy is a graduate of Princeton College, so she'll be here first. Go ahead. Uh, that's also why I know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> With one of yourselves, the servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always remembering your earnestness for everything, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Keep going. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Laodicea and Hierapolis. Okay, in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. 
Okay, so what's that? That's chapter 4, verse 14. We get a reference to Luke as one of the disciples or, or companions of St. Paul in his journey. Okay? Of course, there's, other, there's others that are, that are accompanying him also. Who are some of those that accompany St. Paul on his journey? Timothy. Yeah, Demas from right there. Titus. There's all sorts of a Silas. There's all sorts of other guys. But here, the man that's attested, the tradition attests as the author of Acts is said to be what kind of man? Yeah, he's a physician. Why is that important? Where's that in the book of Acts? No, no, no. It's not in the book of Acts. We're in Colossians. That's right. And in Colossians, we find out that Luke. We could have done this the opposite way, but that Luke is a physician. It's a side note. Okay, if it is Luke, it is helpful that in Colossians we find out that he's a physician. Why is it helpful? Because in Luke's gospel and also in Acts of the Apostles, he takes great interest in the sick and the poor. Okay? And so it helps us to understand why he's writing the way he's writing, if indeed it's, it, is, um, it is Luke. Okay? Philippians chapter 1, verse 24, if you flip back there. Philippians chapter 1. Just go back one epistle. Chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Okay, so in 2 Timothy, he's writing from Rome. 
Okay, St. Paul is writing from Rome, and he's giving us a, a perspective of what took place there. You can say that the true? See, Victoria. Second Timothy, look at chapter 4, verse 11. So St. Paul's writing from Rome, and what does he say? Chapter 4, verse 11. Or verse, start with verse 9, Chrissy, go ahead. Victoria, why don't you read for us? Uh, Are you there? Uh, go ahead, Chrissy, I'll get you later. Four, 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 chapter 4, verse 9. Yes, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. Precious has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful. Mm, okay, so look, we know what? We know that the, that the man writing Acts goes to Rome with St. Paul. And here in 2 Timothy, we find out only one man stays with him in Rome. And who is it? Luke. And it's Luke. And Luke is a physician. Okay? So that's what we know about the man so far. There's a little other evidence we can find out. Okay? Turn to the Gospel of Luke. Again, traditionally attributed to Luke. Okay? And we're going to find out that the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles in the beginning, in the first chapter, are almost identical. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter one. <coughs> Luke chapter one, verse one. Lewis, you want to read that for us? Oh, sorry. Yes, you're up, Lewis. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events which have been fulfilled in our midst. Precisely as those events were transmitted to us by the original eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, I too have carefully traced the whole sequence of events from the beginning and have decided to set it in writing for you, Theophilus, so that your excellency may see how reliable the instruction was that you received. Okay. What's that? That's it. You're good. So who is he writing? Who is he writing his gospel for? Theophilus. Now turn to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. Lewis, go ahead and read verses one through two. Jesus' final instructions in ascension. In my first account, Theophilus. I dealt with all that Jesus didn't taught until the day that he was taken up to heaven. Having okay. first instructed the apostles, he had chosen through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's happening is he's writing Acts of the Apostles as a continuation of his gospel. Why is that helpful? You guys might be thinking I'm going way too much into the background, but you got to know if that, that the gospel of Luke is now going to be helpful as an interpretive tool to Acts of the Apostles. If we had all the time in the world, which we don't, we would have done Luke before, but we did Gospel of John. So it might be helpful if you got some spare time on your hands to go back and read the Gospel of Luke. Okay, as a context to Acts of the Apostles. It's a continuation on. 
pretty much from, from, the, from the Synoptic Gospels, you guys pretty much have most of the story. But we're going to constantly make references back to the Gospel of Luke, okay, as our context to Acts of the Apostles. Okay, further, the church fathers, consistent, Irenaeus, Eusebius, Clement of Alexandria, and others, all attest that Luke, who wrote the gospel, the companion of St. Paul, was indeed the one who wrote Acts of the Apostles. Okay? Come on in, there's plenty of room, I think. Yes, here. Here you go. Okay, you do that. that's fine. All right. Composition. When was it written? Okay? That's also helpful. We need to know that. It's going to tell us a lot about the way that St. Luke is writing, what he's arguing about, if we know the time context. Okay? Well, first of all, what do we know? The gospel ends with what information? At the end of the gospel. We just looked at it. What's going on in the last chapter of the... Oh, not the gospel. I'm sorry. Of Acts of the Apostles. Yeah, Paul's being taken in chains to Rome. He's taken there. He ends up giving a defense to the Jews in Rome, to the Jewish leaders in Rome. Okay? It's commonly held that St. Paul went there sometime between 62 and 63 A.D. So approximately 30 years after the death of our Lord, he's imprisoned in Rome. Okay? Further, so that's we have a, a beginning date, okay? But we got to cut it off and see if we can kind of get it down a little bit. What other great event happens after that? After 62, 63 A.D., what other great event would be important to St. Luke? Yeah, the destruction of the temple in what year? 70 A.D. in Jerusalem. But guess what? Does he mention that in the end of Acts? Not at all. There's no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay? So we've got somewhere in here, 62 to 63. And it's after they had been in Jerusalem and Rome for two years. Yeah, they're in... Well, yes, you're right. You're right. Right there towards the end of the, of the chapter, it mentions that. Verse 30. Okay? What else? Before Paul's acquittal. Before Paul's acquittal, and even more so before Paul's what? Execution. His execution, okay, which is usually held to have happened somewhere around 67 or 68 AD, Paul and Peter. Okay. The reign of Nero? Yes. And we get that from Eusebius? Yes. We can even, we can even get it closer, because there's another great event that's not mentioned by St. Luke in Acts of the Apostles. And what is it? Something that happens in Rome in the 60s. 60 AD. Actually, 64, 65 AD. What is it? Do you know? There's a great fire in Rome. Probably around 64 AD. And what is the result of that fire that sweeps across Rome and destroys much of it? Yeah. The Christians were blamed for the fire... And Nero opened up his famous persecution against the Christians. Okay? However, Luke makes no mention of it. Okay? So that lands us right here about 63 AD that Luke is writing Acts of the Apostles to Theophilus. Why is that important? Why is that important? 
first of all, it puts us in the context of what Luke would have been thinking and doing in Rome. First of all, he's following St. Paul pretty much all over the known world at that time. Well, not quite the known world. But I mean, he's traveled far and wide with St. Paul. And now the Jews have turned St. Paul in. He's been taken in trial and accused. And he's standing before the Roman authorities as an accused Jew. Further, Peter is there in Rome at that time. And it just so happens that Acts of the Apostles can be divided. It really is not Acts of the Apostles, but really, more rightly, Acts of St. Peter and St. Paul. Okay, Chapters 1 through 12 of Acts mostly deal, for the most part, deal with St. Peter. And Acts uh, 13 through 28, for the most part, deal with St. Paul. Okay? Yes, absolutely. What, um, I didn't know that the people that Jews become Roman Roman citizens. I, I thought they hated Jews. So Saint, yeah, Saint Paul was a, was a Roman citizen for other reasons. Okay, we can talk about that in our Saint Paul class, which we're going to do, by the way, as a, as a fulfillment of this class. When we're done with this, we're going to go into Saint Paul. How's it going, Peter? Well, thank you, sir. Good. Um, further. With, the, with that in mind, that we are in Rome, and Luke's mentor is in prison, we can start to read the stories of St. Paul from chapter 13 to chapter 28 in that light. And when we start to read it in that light, in fact, when we start to read all of Acts in that light, suddenly we realize that what is being given in Acts is not simply a history of the Acts of the Apostles, but a defense of what the church was doing. It's an apologetic work. It's not simply historical work. It is history. But it's written in such a way to prove a point. To prove a point that St. Paul should not be in prison, should not be on trial, but that in fact St. Paul was an authentic and true Jew, following the law perfectly. And that in fact the church the Christian community, was the true Israel holding on to the scriptures and interpreting them properly. Okay? So all of Acts suddenly can become for us, the excitement can come through. Because there's a defense of a man going on. It's not just history. Okay? It's history from a per particular perspective in defense of St. Paul, who is taking Christianity out among the Gentiles and preaching salvation to men who were not born of the Jewish nation. Okay. Do we know who yes. Theophilus was? Ah, it's a good question. Who was Theophilus? There's debate. Some say Theophilus was... Simply, what does Theophilus mean? Of God. Yeah, beloved of God. And so is Theophilus a man? Or is Theophilus a title for the community of St. Luke? Those that are beloved by God. Okay? Um, I think it's I think it's Eusebius. I haven't answered that, but a couple of church fathers actually come to the point they say, no, this is to a Luke's whole community that he's writing to. Those who are beloved by God. Okay, under the title of Theophilus. But I think others would, would go the other What's that? We called him your That's a translation. I think mine. Um, well, we're going to look back at that in a second. Okay, we're going to come back to verse 1. Turn to, to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
I mentioned that you can divide the book of Acts into two parts. Chapter 1 through 12, the works of St. Peter, and chapter 13 through 28, the works of St. Paul, the missionary work of St. Paul. Okay? But there's another division that can be given, and it's given there in chapter in chapter 1, verse 8. Okay. Jennifer, you want to read that for us? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And what he is yeah, okay, that's fine. Acts of the Apostles can also be divided. It's good to, to have this in your mind, because as we're reading it, it can become confusing. But what's going on where they're at? So chapter 1 through 7 is the preaching of, of the Apostles where? Where are they preaching? In Jerusalem. Right? In Jerusalem and, Ju and Judea. Chapter 8 and 9, where do you think? Uh, Samaria. Samaria, good. Somebody's yeah. reading verse 8. Okay. And the rest, chapter 10 through 28, is the mission to the Gentiles. But even as the mission to the Gentiles, as we're reading St. Paul's missionary work, really what St. Paul is going and preaching to are not necessarily the Gentiles. There's a couple of occasions where we find him preaching to those that are not Jews. But really what he's doing is he's preaching to those in the diaspora. Those Jews that had been spread out because of the persecution of the Romans. And even the persecution of Babylonians. Okay, you guys remember the Babylonian exile. And so he goes to these communities and gives a defense of what St. Paul is doing. Okay, and St. Paul, when he goes to those communities, when he, we'll have a chance to look at that. But all through Acts, simply interprets the work of Jesus Christ and the work of the church as the true fulfillment of what the scriptures had prophesied. <coughs> over and over and over again, we find that St. Luke writes to a community which takes for granted that there is a Pentecost. We'll take, talk about Pentecost in a minute. Takes for granted that Christians exist. Okay? There's no great introduction to who the Christians are. They're just on the scene in chapter 1 doing their thing. Okay? So all of these can help us interpret the text. What is 1-7? What did you write there? Jerusalem. 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 Eight, nine, Samaria. Ten, sorry, my handwriting. My dad's a doctor, so I can blame him on him. There's a few uh, more points we have to deal with before we get to the text itself. And that is some of the important content in, the, uh, in Acts of the Apostles. We find out about the Holy Spirit and his working within the church. It's a major theme within Acts of the Apostles. We learned something very important for catechists and for those teaching the faith, which actually each one of us hopefully be teaching the faith to somebody at some point. Okay? And that is, how did the early church preach and catechize? Okay? They converted 3,000 people in one day with the work of the help of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a good idea to take a look at how they taught. And maybe we could learn a few things about spreading the word about Jesus Christ. And we find ourselves struggling today. It might be because we're not using them as our paradigm, as our example. Okay? Further, we have a, an example of the full structure of the church. Deacon, priest, bishop, and apostle. All of them in Acts of the Apostles. Full-blown 
understood positions within the church, ordained positions within the church. So already, within 30 years of the death of Christ, we get a revelation of a church which has a full structure to it. Okay, and we have a chance to look at some of those later on. And finally, one of the most important things in Acts of the Apostles is the revelation in chapter 15 of the first council of the church, the council of Jerusalem. And guess what we find there? Debate. Okay. We find authority, men standing up to preach. We find decision being made. And we find public pronouncement through a written document. Okay? So already in the, in, within 30 years of Christ's death, we get a church with a full hierarchical structure and a church which is making pronouncements upon the truth for all people to hold in chapter 15. Okay? Finally, one more thing we need to know about St. Paul is that as a defense of St. Paul, there's a number of people attacking him. Not only the Jews attacking him. Why would the Jews attack him and, and try to get him arrested and thrown in prison? Why? What's that? He's reaching out to the Gentiles and yet claiming to be a Jew. Yeah, well, and also, that one of the, the presuppositions of this gospel was that the Jews killed the Messiah. Right. That's true. Which didn't reflect well upon the Jewish leaders. Right. But who else is attacking him? Who else is questioning the authority of St. Paul? Not only the Romans, no, not necessarily the Romans. They probably had their eye on him. Who else? Peter, the, the, the uh, Jews who were Christians. The what? The Christian Jews. Yeah, the Christian Jews. And why do the Christian Jews have a problem with St. Paul? Well, for one thing, he was, is they, they were caught up with issues like circumcision and keeping the law. Yeah, there's all sorts of issues between Jews and Christians. And furthermore, what did St. Paul done in his former profession? Persecuted. But killed him. Right? And so they didn't trust him. So in Acts of the Apostles, St. Paul and St. Peter are set up side by side to be shown to be equal and inheritors of the apostleship. Okay? Both of them start with an inaugural speech, a sermon, referencing the Davidic covenant. I'll just reel them off to you. And you can see that St. Luke is writing as a, in a way to mirror them, to show that Luke is no different than Peter. They're both apostles. Okay? They both reference Psalm 16 in reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They both heal cripples. Okay, men who are crippled, they both heal them. They confer the Spirit by laying on of hands. They can both confront and rebuke magicians. They both raise the dead to life. They both refuse to accept divine worship. And they're both miraculously delivered. Okay? All through the gospel, as we look at St. Peter and St. Paul, they're placed side by side. Luke would do that only because he is trying to vindicate his mentor against those who are attacking him falsely. And so he's giving a defense of St. Paul from a number of positions. Okay? Turn to Luke chapter 24. 
as we read the end of Luke, just pay attention to the themes. Because we're going to run into a lot of those themes right at the beginning of Acts of the Apostles. So we can see that there's a continuation of what Luke was writing in his gospel, but also kind of an overlap and a reminder to Theophilus, or his, his audience, of what he had said at the end of the gospel of Luke. Okay? Chapter, or chapter, uh, what was that? 24? Verse 44. Who wants to read? Somebody's got to want to read. <laughs> And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you. This is our word speaking. Sorry, go ahead. That all things must need to be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead the third day. And that penance and remission of sins should be preached in his name unto all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I send the promise of my Father upon you, and stay you in the city until you be endued with power from on high. So what's the promise of his Father? Yeah, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead. And he led them out as far as Bethania, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And it came to pass, whilst he blessed them, he departed from them and was carried up to heaven. And they, adoring, went back into Jerusalem with great joy. And they were always in the temple, praising and blessing God. Okay, turn to Acts chapter 1. Go ahead and read verse 1 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise I made of God was of all things which Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day on which, giving commandments by the Holy Ghost to the apostles whom he had chosen, he was taken up, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many proofs, for forty days appearing to them and speaking of the kingdom of God. And eating together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but should wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard, saith he, by my mouth. Remember, it said the exact same thing there at the end of Luke, right at the end of the Gospel. Go ahead. For John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. They therefore who were come together asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or moments which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had said these things, while they looked on, he was raised up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were beholding him going up to heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white garments, who also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you looking up to heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come as you have seen him going into heaven. Okay, so we get this parallel between the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Okay? It almost follows through, and if you read it carefully, if you go back and read that carefully, side by side, there's all sorts of little phrases in there that come up. Okay, We just pointed out a couple, a couple of them. Going back to verse 3, it 
It says that our Lord was taken up on what day? On what day? On the 40th day. The 40th day after what? Yeah, after the resurrection. The 40th day after the resurrection. So he was among his, his apostles 40 days. Okay? Why is that significant? Why do you think? Why is it significant that he was with his apostles for 40 days? 40 years. 40, 40 days in the desert. 33 plus 7. 40 years wandering in the desert. <laughs> oh, we got a number of answers. <laughs> yeah, first of all, 40. first of all, the Jews do wander in the desert for 40 years. Okay? But who also goes on retreat before his mission for 40 days? Yeah, our Lord does. He goes out there and what does he do? But he communes with the Father. He goes out to have a special time to communicate with the Father. And so for 40 days in preparation for their mission, just as our Lord was in preparation for his mission, they stayed 40 days together, communicating about the most important things. And then our Lord was taken up, and the apostles begin their mission to the world. Yeah, but why 40? Why 40? What's that? Why 40? Why not 7 days? Why not, you know... 40. There's all sorts of references to the there's all sorts of references to the Old Testament for the for for 40 days. It was a, it was a um, specific number for the Jews. What's that? No, it was they reigned for 40 days. Yes, no, it was not. You're right. You're right. There's all sorts of references to the Old Testament. Okay. Furthermore, furthermore, it's a time placement. It's a time placement. In the midst, yes, that's a just was on the on the tip of my tongue. It's a time placement telling us that we're still within a period that's very important for the Jews. And what what period of time was that? Exactly, Pentecost. Well, what's Pentecost mean? Fifty. Fifty. Fifty what? Fifty days after what? Passover. Okay? So we're within, still within the time of Pentecost. For the Jews, the Pentecost was not just the 50th day, but was the entire time period from Passover to Pentecost to the 50th day. We'll have a chance to look at that a little bit more. So it gives us a little time set in that period. We're still within the time of, of Pentecost and the things the Jews would have done during that time. Yes. Was there a reference to the um, the word Pentecost in the Old Testament? Ah, yes. We'll take a look at that if we get to it today. I hope we do. Further, in in verse three, we we hear about uh, verse three. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking of the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? What's that? For the Jews. What's the kingdom of God? Heaven. What else? Yeah. Israel. The term kingdom of God and kingdom of David are interchangeable in the scriptures. Okay? That's important because there's a question coming up for us from the apostles that is quite important. 
okay, about the restoration of that kingdom. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're not simply talking about something which floats up in the sky, but a thing which has a king. And what else does it have? What else does a kingdom have? It has subjects. What's a kingdom without subjects? It's nothing. Okay? It's a whole community ruled by a king who is chosen by God. Okay? Yes. Did you watch all the the sweet flash sound? Mm-hmm. What is that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I might have it in my notes later on. Because I have a list of uh, Jewish. Chapter 
1, verse, uh, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons where the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's a strange answer our Lord gives him, gives them. First of all, what are they asking? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What are they asking? Yeah. Are you going to, basically, are you going to restore a kingdom now? Okay. Why? Why would they ask that right then? Not only that, and not only because they're waiting for it, what? He's about to leave. Not only that, it's in the text just beforehand. Look at verse 5. For John baptized with water, but before many days, you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What's that have to do with the kingdom of God? What's the Holy Spirit have to do with the kingdom? Turn to 1 Samuel. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel. Oh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel. Am I right? First and second Samuel, okay? Under Judges. Chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, are you with me? Chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, seeing I have rejected him for being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And who is going to be that king? Verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. What's it called when we anoint a child in baptism? It's that old word that we use. Yeah, to to christen or to chrismate them. It comes from this. What is the word for the anointed one of Israel in Greek? In Hebrew, how about that? Messiah. The Messiah. And into Greek it is what? Christ. Yeah, the Christos. Okay, we bring it in as Christ. Okay? When we call Jesus the Christ, we're calling him the king. And he is the king. Why? Because he's 
anointed by the Holy Spirit, as David was of old, and as of every king of the Old Testament, Jewish king of the Old Testament was. And so when our Lord was anointed, he became king. And notice in Acts, cut back there. I lost my Bible. Here. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be plunged into the Holy Spirit. You shall be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly they go, yeah. If the anointing of the Holy Spirit is going to come down upon us, we've got a kingship and a kingdom on our hands. Okay? So, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God, of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Notice verse 8 is his answer to the question. But you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You notice how that's the answer to the question. Are you going to restore Israel at this time? It's not for you to know. But I promise you that the pro by the promise of the Father that the Holy Spirit will come. And when he does come, you will receive power as kings over the earth. Okay? Verse 9. Can I ask a question? Yes. What does he mean by you when he says that you will receive uh, power over the, you, the earth? You, the apostles, you, the Jews, you, the what? It appears he's talking about the apostles. Okay. Okay? That's the group he's speaking to at that point, anyways. All right. Our Lord is lifted up in a cloud and taken to heaven. Okay? Recalling for us a particular image of the Old Testament. What image is that? Yeah, well, yeah, kind of, yeah. What else? Daniel chapter 7. Turn to Daniel chapter 7 really quick. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel comes after Ezekiel. If you go to Maccabees and go backwards, you'll find Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. <laughs> chapter 7, verse 13. Go ahead, Jennifer. Chapter thir verse 13 and 14. Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, so you get this, this prophecy in Daniel of the Son of Man being delivered to the Father on the clouds of heaven. And he receives dominion and power. He's enthroned. Turn back to Acts real quick. Acts chapter... I should have a little marker there for myself. Um, 
chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, it doesn't say explicitly what that's all about. Unless we have Daniel as our background. When you look at chapter 2, verse 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. St. Uh, St. Peter, speaking here, is going to interpret what he just saw in the lifting up of Jesus and placing him on the clouds. Verse 29. Brethren, I may say to you confidently that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne. We're going to come back to this text, by the way. He foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you see here. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a stool for thy feet. Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. St. <coughs> Peter saw in the lifting up of Jesus upon the clouds in the ascension and in the resurrection the enthronement of Jesus as the Christ at the right hand of the Father. Lord, will the kingdom of Israel be restored now? Wait till the Holy Spirit comes down upon you to give power to you. And at that moment, our Lord is lifted up and enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And now the apostles await when they themselves will be anointed, will be christened, will be made Christ. In order to go out with dominion and power to the whole world to go and save it for our Lord. Okay? We're out of time, but I want to read you one little quote before you go from Ignatius' commentary. I meant to read it earlier. The book of Acts traces the first 30 years of Christian history from the ascension of Jesus in Jerusalem to the imprisonment of Paul in Rome. It is Luke's intention to continue the story of Jesus through the life and mission of his first disciples. Though it is also the work of a careful historian whose accuracy and reliability are increasingly confirmed in modern research. Acts is far from being a lifeless chronicle of facts and figures. Hold on, guys. Just wait a second. Luke has given us an artful narrative filled with inspiring heroes, moving speeches, and daring adventures. Stylistically, he combines the best traditions of biblical and Hellenistic historiography. Like the writers of the Old Testament, he brings out the theological meaning of history by taking readers behind the scenes to see God orchestrating all things to further his plan of salvation. It is Luke's intention. I won't read you the quote from another author speaking about the gospel. It is Luke's intention that each one of us walks with him. That each one of us sees our Lord ascending on the, mount, on the clouds to the throne of God. It is Luke's intention for us to be there on Pentecost Day to see the Holy Spirit descend and hear the apostles speak in our own tongue. If we read Acts of the Apostles that way, not as some disinterested figure, but as someone standing there on the day of Pentecost, seeing what is happening before their eyes, seeing men raised from the dead, 
then, then Acts will become for us what Luke intended it for, to be for Theophilus. A story of our own salvation as the gospel is continued in the work of the apostles. Okay? So next week we'll have the same time, same place. We don't have anything this Thursday, but so next Tuesday we have this, and then on Thursday we have um, Dr. Thigpen coming. Okay? Make sure you take some flyers back there. Do we have more Thigpen questions? Yeah, take some of those flyers and pass them out to your friends. Hopefully get a good crowd that night. Let's finish in prayer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. St. Luke, pray for us.